Welcome. Welcome back. Welcome home. This is Tracy, and we want to thank you for being a part of the Life Together podcast. Before we get into this week's teaching, we want you to know that you matter to God and you matter to us. Life Together is a Wednesday evening gathering for worship, Bible study, and community here at Oak Creek Assembly of God in Oak Creek, Wisconsin. Open your Bibles tonight to Luke chapter 6, and we're going to start reading at verse 46 with a question here that Jesus asks in Luke chapter 6, verse 46. He says this, so why do you keep calling me Lord, Lord, when you don't do what I say. Can we pray as we get started tonight? Father, we thank you so much. We thank you that you are here in this room, that you are not a God who is far off. And as we call upon your name, as we lean into your voice, that you might speak to us, that we might hear you tonight through your word. Let your Holy Spirit be shaping us. We're not going to be changed tonight by any person's words. We're going to be changed by your word. And I pray, Lord, that you would be moving amongst us, allowing us to be shaped by you. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. So, can we remind ourselves who Jesus is talking to and where we're kind of at? This is the sixth week in a six-week-long series called the Sermon on the Plain. There is a Sermon on the Mount that you might be more familiar with in Matthew, but in Luke chapter 6, Jesus preaches a shorter version called the Sermon on the Plain, and we have used this series to kind of help us in our six-week approach towards Easter, to be thoughtful about the teachings of Christ, the message of Christ, what his kingdom is like. And so as we kind of move into this final week, I think it might be helpful we actually go back to the beginning and do a real quick review here. So week one was really an introduction for us, and we spent most of week one talking about the day before Jesus preached the Sermon on the Plain. And on that day, Jesus went up onto the mountainside to pray, and the Bible says that he spent the entire night on the mountain praying. When he came back the next day, he appointed his 12 apostles from his disciples, and then he walks out, and there's this great crowd of people that are waiting there, and this crowd of people has many, many questions that are in their minds as they want to hear from Jesus. Some of them are asking, what is Jesus about to do? What is his kingdom going to be like, and how do I join in? So then Jesus starts preaching. In week two, we talked about the blessings and the woes. In week three, Jesus taught us to love your enemies. In week four, Jesus taught us to do not judge. And then in week five, last week, we talked about the, the, the tree and its fruit, about how God wants us to live verdant lives, to always be bringing life everywhere that we go. So Jesus has gone through all of this teaching here to this large crowd out on the plain. And as he begins to make a turn and transition into his final subject, the last thing he wants to say in the sermon, he asks this very powerful question, why do you call me Lord, Lord, when you don't do what I say? Jesus is speaking to a very eclectic group of people because, yes, there are his disciples, his apostles are there. These are people who are fully bought into the message of Christ. They believe it and they do it. But then there's a bunch of other different kinds of people that are there. There are people there who are just really hopeful to be healed. There are people who are looking to see something miraculous or to hear something 
miraculous. There are people who are there to tear Jesus down, who are there to trap him. There are doubters and skeptics and believers and everything that's in between in this crowd. And as Jesus gets to this last point in his sermon, he kind of zooms in his audience and he says, now this last part is actually just going to be for a specific group of people out of all of you. And I want to stop, and I want to pause, and I want to talk about this last part, and I want to speak to the people who call me Lord, Lord. So if you don't call me Lord, Lord, you're off the hook. But I want to speak to the people who call me Lord, Lord. Now, the word Lord kind of has a flat affect for us in 2022 because it's a little bit dated. It makes me think of, like, medieval times. And if I was going to... The word in Greek is kyrios, which really lands more closer to the word master, that there is this kind of ownership connection to the word Lord. That for me, someone to be my Lord, it means that I belong to them. That there is a sense that my decisions and my freedoms aren't my own. They belong to someone else. So it would be inaccurate for you to replace the word Lord with boss. Because you all might have a boss, but you can walk out of your job and quit any day that you want to. Jesus is, is not the boss of your life. He wants to be the Lord of your life. And so there has to be this sense of belonging. If I'm going to say that Jesus is my Lord, I'm going to say, I belong to you. My decisions, my freedoms aren't my own. I hand them over to your ownership, which is a very strong relationship. Jesus is not just a coach. He is not just a counselor. He wants to be the Lord of your life. Why do you call me Lord, Lord, and you don't do what I say? Why do you say that you belong to me when you don't do what I say? So two nights ago, um, my kids had scheduled their biweekly bedtime breakdown. Um, <laughs> I'm not exactly sure what all goes wrong. It's like I think some of it is, is uh, we stayed up too late. Someone uses someone else's toothbrush. It's a full moon. There's a series of events that I just want you to imagine that, like, your house is on fire and you live on a houseboat. So, like, that's what it feels like. And so there's a lot of them and there's a lot of chaos going on. But one child in particular lasted much longer in the fight than the other three. And for the sake of this story, we're going to protect his or her identity and we're going to call him or her Carl. So the other three had given up. And we're quiet, and we're in bed, and we're falling asleep. And Carl had a long laundry list of things that had to be taken care of. There were lots of feelings. There was lots of things that had to happen, lots of questions that could be asked, and a lot of back and forth between, okay, good night, and then one more thing, and then one more thing, and then one more thing. And so Mandy, who is a far more caring person than I am, uh, was very generous. And so she gave an extra 15, 20 minutes to Carl to help him or her work through all of these things. And so, so she's back there, you know, oh, well, you know, we, we can't do anything that. And so she, she's being very, very caring and is, is trying to express with a caring and firm hand of, hey, the only solution to every problem that you've just listed is sleep. The, we, we cannot fix any more things tonight. This day is done. I need you to give up. I need you to be quiet. You need to go to sleep. This is how this day is going to end. So this is it. And this, this happened a couple times in the process of 15, 20 minutes. So finally, she finishes for the third or fourth time and leaves the room. <laughs> Me and Mandy are in the kitchen, just like staring at the second hand on the clock, just 
waiting. So about five minutes go by, and we're thinking, the Lord has come to rescue us. <laughs> it's going to be okay. And then I promise you, about five minutes in, then we hear Carl's voice from the bedroom. I love you, Mom. <laughs> so we, we don't say anything. Because <laughs> we're hoping that it, this is done. A couple more seconds go by. I love you, Mom. In our house, there's really kind of a three-strike policy with lots of things. So we didn't respond. Third time. I love you, Mom. And I promise you this is what I said. I yelled back to the room. I'm not proud of this. And I said, no, you don't. <laughs> so around this time, the, the Holy Spirit starts saying, hey, Dan, probably not the best way to handle this situation. I should not have said what I said. I'm not defending that. But I am actually going to defend to you what I meant when I said that. So I'm walking back to talk to him. And I didn't, I didn't start by quoting off scripture. But I am going to start to explain my thoughts here. John 14, 45. If you love me, obey my commands. If Jesus is the Lord of your life, if he has ownership in your life, if you want to love God, obey his commands. That's not what I said to Carl. I said, I said, Carl, here's the deal. God has placed mom in an authority figure of your life, and she has been so clear to you that you need to obey her and go to sleep. And so if you love her, then you're going to obey her. And so I'm going to get up now, and I'm going to leave the room, and if you love your mom, you're not going to say another word tonight, and you're just going to fall asleep. Good night, Carl. We love you. And then we all went to bed. Actually, me and Mandy ate two bowls of ice cream, and then we went to bed. <laughs> it's interesting that uh, I looked this up today. Uh, in 2019, they did uh, statistics of uh, the amount of people in America who identify as Christians. And the number is super high. It was like 65% of people in America identify as Christians. Uh, Pew Research did a study on, and this wasn't hard to find because all these people have public statements on our current Congress, on the people that are currently serving of all political parties in the Senate and in the House, and currently 88% of the people in those offices identify publicly as Christian. Those are some really high numbers. Um, I want to compare those to some lower numbers. I understand that church attendance is not the only way to uh, account for faith, but it is something to look at. Jesus taught us to observe the Sabbath. He taught us to be, have a day of rest. He taught us to be in community with fellow Christians. And so in America, if I pick a lower stat, the amount of people who attend church weekly, so that's you right now. So if you either go to life together or a Sunday morning, morning service, and it averages out to once a week per year, you'd be in this group, that number is 22%. So th there's a big gap there, right, between people who say, Lord, Lord, and people who are actively doing what Christ taught people to do, which is be active in a faith community. And there's this split, there's this break that happens in us between the people that are saying, and that's what Jesus is saying. He's pointing out, he's going, why do you keep calling me Lord, Lord? Why are you screaming from the bedroom, Mom, I love you? If you don't obey what I say, if you love me, keep my commands.
Jesus wants us to understand why it's so important that we don't just say, Lord, Lord. Jesus illustrates this in a parable, and that's what closes out this section here. Let's read this parable, Luke chapter 6, verse 47 to 49. I will show you what it's like when someone comes to me, listens to my teaching, and then follows it. It is like a person building a house who digs deep and lays the foundations on solid rock. When the floodwaters rise and break against that house, it stands firm because it is well built. But anyone who hears and doesn't obey is like a person who builds a house right on the ground without a foundation. When the floods sweep down against that house, it will collapse in a heap of ruin. So I hate to just disrupt this flow of my message, but I feel like it's really important for the respect of anyone who's ever been in Sunday school, whoever's taught Sunday school, that we pause here and sing the song. Do you know what song we're about to sing? The wise man built his house upon the rock. Come on. The wise man built his house upon the rock. The wise man built his house upon the rock. And the tumbling down. The rains came down and the floods came up. You never heard this before. The rains came down and the floods came up. The rains came down and the floods came up. And the house on the rock stood firm. Okay, raise your hand if you've never heard that song before. Oh, well, welcome. You don't need to feel bad about that. Growing up in church was fun, but it had some baggage with it too, so it may all even out for you. But you are going to hear the second verse. The foolish man built his house upon the sand. The foolish man built his house upon the sand. The foolish man built his house upon the sand, and the rain came tumbling down. The rains came down and the floods came up. The rains came down and the floods came. Aren't you glad you came to church tonight? The rains came down and the floods came up. And the house on the sand went splat. Yeah. It really develops a compassionate spirit in our children. (laughs) So this story, this parable that Jesus tells in Luke 6, it is in both accounts. It's in the Sermon on the Mount. It's also in the Sermon on the Plain that we're reading right now. Uh, the stories are very similar. One of the small differences is that in this version, in Luke 6, he doesn't actually use the word sand. He uses the word sand in the Matthew 7 account, which may seem insignificant, but the word sand is actually a very interesting clue for us to understand where Jesus is talking about. So when I would have heard this story as a child, I'm imagining somewhere that's sandy and floods and so I probably would have imagined it would be, like, on some, like, treacherous beach in some terrible place, like Michigan. And so I'm imagining, like, oh, there's a lighthouse there, and then there's this. And I'm imagining it happens this way. Well, Israel is not Michigan. Israel is a desert. And so geographically, like, it wouldn't have been that way. And you say, well, doesn't Israel go against the Mediterranean Sea? Well, it does. But this is miles and miles away in an area where people didn't have cars to travel to the sea And the sea is an ocean, so it's going to have, like, high tide and low tide, but it's not going to flood the way that he's describing in this passage. He's describing a sandy area that floods. And if Jesus was talking to people in Israel who aren't us, those people would know that what he was talking about was a wadi. So the word I'm using is W-A-D-I. And a wadi is actually a unique geographical feature that you can find in the Middle East. And it has to be in a desert. Let me explain it to you. So a wadi is where you have like two cliffs or mountains that are side by side. 
And so it's a desert. These aren't, this isn't like the Smokies or the, the Rockies where you've got all of this vegetation and trees and good soil to soak up water. You just have a jagged rock next to another jagged rock. And so in between that, there'd be this dry riverbed that would be there. And when you talk about sand, that would be all of the sand and dirt and pebbles that would come down from these two cliffs or mountains to make this crevice into the earth. Rainfall in Israel is super interesting because it doesn't rain at all through their long summer because it's a desert. So from May to October, there's no rainfall at all. In the other half of the year in Israel, they'll get like 26 inches of rain. To compare that to us, it's just like eight inches less than we get, but they're going to get all of it in like six months. They're going to get all of it in half of the year. So when that rain comes... When that rain hits dry, cracked ground that can't absorb any of the water, in that wadi, that water is going to come flooding through. And when Jesus is talking to an audience in Israel about a sandy place that floods, they are immediately going to be thinking of this. I actually have a, a video. Can you show that? Yeah, and so it looks about like this, where when that rain comes... You literally have dry ground that is going to turn into a rushing river in just a period of seconds. So when Jesus says the foolish man built his house upon the sand, the whole crowd goes, yeah, that would be extremely foolish. Can you imagine to build a house on the sand in the middle of one of these? That, that's just going to be a wreck. That's crazy. It is as crazy as someone who hears Jesus' teaching and doesn't do it. It's that amount of insane that you would stand there and the God of the earth would be made flesh and he would be standing in front of you. Jesus, the Son of God, the Christ, is standing here telling you how to live leading you to life everlasting you, leading you to life abundantly. It would be so insane for you to listen to him and not do what he says. It'd be the same amount of crazy as it would be to build a house on top of the sand. So every parable that Jesus teaches, there's kind of this mic drop moment. There's this like shock moment where he'll take something into an area that you didn't expect. And so far, we're kind of lined up with all things that they would expect. They would expect that it would be nuts to build a house here. What happens next is the moment that makes everyone go, hold on. Because Jesus then says, now a wise builder built a house in the same location. And this is where their brain just freezes over. And they say, whoa, 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 there? A, a wise builder built his house there? It doesn't say the wise builder built his house on high ground. The parable tells us that the wise builder built his house deep. He went down under the sand. In Israel, you're going to find bedrock if you get past the dirt and the sand and the pebbles that's on top. And you might have to dig two inches or two feet to get down to that bedrock. And so he's building his house in a flood zone. And everyone listening to Jesus would pause there and go, wise builder? I'm, I'm not sure this guy is going to make it. Sure, he's building his house on a firm foundation, but he's still building it in a flood zone. I'm not sure this is going to work out. You know, every single one of us is going to experience floods in life. 
I think it's one of the big, big mistakes of the prosperity gospel, of Christians who land into the lane of, if you follow Jesus, life's just going to all be good. Everything's going to be fine. Everything's going to be perfect. You're going to get that raise. Your family's going to be beautiful. Everything's going to work out. And Jesus never promised us that we're going to build our house out of the flood zone. It's not one house is in the flood zone and one house is in the gated community in the burbs. Both houses are in the flood zone. And those floods are going to come. What Jesus promised us is that he says that when you build wisely, if you hear my teachings and you do them, you will be like a wise builder who builds his house in a flood zone, but on firm foundation. And when that flood comes, you will not be moved. This week is Holy Week, and if we can just remember what this week was like for the followers of Jesus Christ, it was insane. The followers of Jesus Christ, they, they knew that the Roman government was against them. They knew the religious leaders were against them, but the 12 disciples are sitting there at dinner, and they are looking at Jesus, and Jesus looks into their eyes to his 12 closest friends, and he says, one of you will betray me. If you look at the way that the disciples responded over the next three days of Jesus' crucifixion, his death, and his resurrection, they are just in a full-blown panic attack. Crazy things are happening. They are hiding. They are fighting. They are denying Christ. They are acting in all of the ways that you and I might act if we were put into the same flood that they were put into. See, but here's the good news. By the time they hit the flood, the foundation was already built. By the time the chaos showed up, the wise house was already built, and they were going to make it through. You know, it was months earlier, before Holy Week, before Jesus' death and resurrection, that Jesus is having dinner with Peter, and Jesus says, who do you say I am? And Peter says, you are the Christ, the Son of the living God. You are the Lord of my life. You have ownership of my decisions and my freedoms. I'm going to listen to what you say, and then I'm going to go do it because I believe that you are who you say you are. And I want you to read with me what Jesus says back to Peter. He looks at Peter, and he says, you are blessed, Simon, son of John, because my Father in heaven has revealed this to you. You did not learn this from any human being. Now I say to you that you are Peter, and upon this rock I will build my church and all the powers of hell will not conquer it. Peter, you're going to stand in the middle of the flood, but you will not be destroyed. Wise builders, hear my teachings and follow them. Those people will go through the storm, but they will not be torn down. This is the reason that building a foundation is never the last step. It's always the first step. No one sees storm clouds coming and they say, quick, build a foundation. This is why we do this first. This is why we build our life on hearing Jesus' teaching and following it. Because the flood zone will be coming. There will be storms in this life. But when you are grounded in Christ, you will not be moved. There's two kind of groups of people that God's put on my heart tonight. As I was praying over this message that I feel spiritually led towards. And one of them is, is the foolish builders. And I understand that the word foolish hits us in kind of an aggressive way because no one wants to be called a fool. No one wants to identify as a fool. But if you ask me if I've made some foolish decisions over the last 12 months, yeah, yeah, I, I've done some foolish things. And so in that, I'm asking the question, are you someone who says, Lord, Lord, but doesn't do what Jesus says? Now, if I, 
if I try and like make this like big circle out of the teachings of Jesus Christ, and I have to like evaluate my own heart. Lord, is that me? Am I someone who says, Lord, Lord, but I don't do what you say? You can become a little bit overwhelmed when you think about like, well, am I? Am I? Am I doing everything that Jesus says? Am I following every teaching that he says? I'm so thankful that Jesus didn't leave us with this big mess of a thousand rules and that Jesus himself made this a very simple test to ask yourself. Jesus said the first most important commandment goes like this. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, with all your strength. And the second one is this. Love your neighbor as yourself. The whole law and all of the prophets are wrapped up in these two commandments. So if I want to check my heart, then I've got to ask myself that question. God, am I loving you with all of my heart, my soul, my mind, and my strength? And God, am I loving my neighbor as myself? And if you find yourself not able to answer those questions with a sure-hearted yes, move over from the camp of the foolish builder. Push into his will. Push into following him with everything and not holding anything back. Let him have ownership in your life. Let him have lordship. You've been in control for a long time. Let's try it a different way. Let's hand over the keys. Let's let him be the decider in your life and see what happens. See how God can transform your life by letting him be not just the boss, not a coach, and not just a counselor, but by being the king of your life. And then my heart is kind of turned tonight towards the wise builders in the room. And here's my prayer for the wise builders. My, my prayer for the wise builders is that you wise builders would be fearless. I think sometimes Christians who are building on Christ can spend too much time checking the weather. <laughs> too much time waiting for the next flood. Flood's coming. This is happening. This isn't going well. Did you hear this? Forward this email. Did you see what Congress did this week? Did you hear what's happening in our neighborhood? What's happening in our schools? Here's this. This is happening. Got to pay attention to the weather because the flood's coming. If you are building your life on Christ, newsflash, the flood is coming better newsflash, you're going to be okay. You will not be moved. Christ looked at you and he said, if you follow my teachings and you do them, I'm going to build my church on you. You are going to be so secure that hell itself can't knock you over. You are going to be so invincible that there is nothing that is going to knock you down. I want to see this church be filled with confident, wise builders people who look at what they've built, they look at the church community that they're in, they look at their marriage, they look at their relationships that they rely upon, and they say, this is built on Christ. We dug this deep. We know we're in a flood zone. We're fine. We dug this deep. We're following after Christ. We're doing what it says, and we will not be shaken. I want God to rise, to raise up your faith. I don't want you to be afraid. I don't want you to be daunted. I want you to be fearless with the things that are in front of you, with the great challenges, with the big things, the big decisions that God is calling to you because you cannot be shaken. Let's pray together tonight. Father, we love you. We thank you that you're here in this place tonight. And I pray that your Holy Spirit would continue to move in our hearts. I believe that there's someone in this room tonight who's making that jump from foolish builder over to wise builder who says, I've been in charge for too long, and God, I want you to be the owner of my life. I want you to be the Lord. And so I'm going to not just listen. I'm going to start doing exactly what you say. 
I pray for my wise builders. I pray that they would rise up in faith for people in this room who have struggled with fear and anxiety, who feel that tension of the future of what's going to come and whether or not they're going to survive it. I pray, Lord, that you would raise up their faith. You would raise up their trust in you. I pray, Lord, that you would just protect them in everything that they do, that they would feel the security of being in your kingdom. I pray for the next few days that are ahead for each one of us as we move into Good Friday and into Easter. I pray that you would allow there to be a sweetness to this walk that we make together as a faith community, that you would be in our thinking and in our feeling as we reflect on the great sacrifice that you made and then your triumphant victory over death, hell, and the grave. We give you praise tonight. We thank you that you're here with us and that you're good. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thank you so much for being with us for the Life Together podcast. It's even better when we get to see you in person. You are invited to join us on Wednesday evenings here at Oak Creek Assembly of God. We are a church that exists to reach our world for Christ as we lead people to discover and become who God has created them to be. Find us online at oakcreekag.org.